0: Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath-day journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. During these days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The number of people that were together was about 120, and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of David, spoke in advance about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number, and was allotted a share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell headfirst and burst open in the middle, and all his insides spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that in their own language, that field is called Hakeldama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, from among these it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two. Joseph, called Barsabbas. Who was also known as Justice and Matthias. When they prayed, then they prayed, "You Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic service that Judas left to go to his own place. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was numbered with the eleven apostles.
1: Oh, very interesting little clip, that one. Morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. None of you wish me happy Mother's Day. It's a bit rough. Thank you, Pete. So I'm not going to go there. Um, how about we pray, and then we'll get into this often neglected part of We're sitting between Jesus' ascension and Pentecost, it's a part of uh, scripture that's often over overlooked, really. So well, we'll see what God has to say to us today. Through it. Let's pray first, though. Uh, dear Lord, we ask that you would please guide and guard our hearts and our minds this morning as we hear your word to us. Uh, please help us, Father, to trust you more, to depend on you more, to become more like you in everything that we think and say and do. Amen. All right. Well... Exciting news, it's election time again, yeah, election time! Okay, I can see the delight on your faces. Um, Look, it is easy for us to be, and we shouldn't be cynical about it, but we often are about elections in Australia. Um, You know, part of us knows that no matter who gets in and whatever promises they might make, uh, they're going to have a bit of trouble getting anything done because of the way the parliamentary system works. Um, it just seems so ineffectual at times, doesn't it? Um, even Winston Churchill, a very famous Prime Minister of England, Winston Churchill, and uh, he was even cynical of democracy. Um, he once said, democracy is the worst form of government, apart from every other form of government that's been tried. That is true. Uh, yeah. In much the same way, uh, though, I think you could say that as we, we look at the world around us, uh, you know, with war and disease and, and terrorism and, and you know, all the horrible evil stuff that we constantly feed in the media nowadays um, that's happening all around the world. You know, it's not surprising our non-Christian friends are sceptical about the whole idea of a, a loving God who is in control of everything, you know. And even Christians, uh, as Christians ourselves, we can sometimes wonder... You know, what, what is God really doing? What is he doing about fixing this world? And that really is why the book of Acts is so helpful to us. Um, you know, every time we read it, uh, it reminds us that God is doing something about it. You know, he is saving the world. Uh, he is bringing the world under the lordship of the resurrected and glorified Jesus. It's what the book of Acts is all about. Of course, it's not just what the book of Acts is about, really. It's really what the whole Bible is about. The Bible is the story of God's salvation. Now, you know, you can look back even as early as, you know, into the book of Genesis, you know, about 4,000 years ago, time-wise, you know, we see Abraham called and uh, he's going to be the father of a special... Community, a special group of people, um, what we would call um, Old Testament Israel, and so God called them. Uh, he He saved them from slavery in Egypt. Uh, they became His people, and He, of course, became their God. Now, this story, as it goes, it reaches a climax around two thousand years ago, when Jesus became the saviour of the world, dying on the cross being raised to life, and then ascending into heaven, as we heard last week. What happens next, though, with Jesus ascending to heaven? Jesus gone, in some sense, from uh, this world. Um, How will this story continue? Well, that's where we pick it up today. Um, Our focus is now moved, in uh, Acts chapter 1, onto this small group of Jesus' followers who have uh, just seen uh, Jesus ascend into heaven and they're making their way back from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. So let me read from verse 13 to get us in the picture. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, uh, I like saying Bartholomew, but Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot and Judas, the son of James. All these were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So let's stop there for a second. Look, very interesting. What, what is the first thing that, that uh, the book of Acts describes this community doing? What's the first thing you hear about them doing? Praying, praying yeah. And not just praying, but praying together, you know. They were continually united in prayer. So Jesus' followers immediately are prioritizing prayer and they are uniting in prayer. Now I can't help but give a quick plug for Saturday morning when we have our church prayer time in at Betty's place on Saturday morning, nine o'clock, uh, nine fifteen. A bit of a chat first, and then nine fifteen we get going and we spend, you know, forty-five minutes or so praying together. It is just the best way to start your weekend. You know, it is so encouraging and it's such a great thing to do. It's just what God's people do. They pray together. Sure, yes, pray, pray on your, spend quiet time with yourself and God, but God values uh, his people praying together and he uses it. So you are you are most welcome to join us. Uh, you are most, anytime. We're here pretty much every Saturday of the year, pretty much. You, you're most welcome to join us anytime and please come along. Um, I assure you, you will not regret it. Can I say that? Anyway, back to the verse. Verse 15. During these days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The number of people who were together was about 120. Um, That number, 120, is not a random number. It's like, oh yeah, it's about how many? About 120. Yeah, about 120. It's actually significant that he says there's about 120. Um, Why? Well. Uh, if you dig around, you find out that uh, the number of people um, in a Jewish society that were required to form a new community under its own leadership was 120. There's a surprise. So this, it's actually another way of saying that this little group uh, is going to, from now on, be a, a new community, a new community of God's people. And as we're going to figure out as we go along, um, in some ways it is continuous from Old Testament Israel, um, uh, but in other ways it is, uh, it is distinct from Old Testament Israel. And, of course, this new community is the, is the beginnings of what we would call the church. But as far as the old community, Israel, uh, of the Old Testament Israel you know, is concerned, God actually symbolically ended Old Testament worship uh, in AD 70, with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And so, God, yes, He called the Jews, they were His people, He called, still calls Jews in today, and we know about Messianic Jews and so forth. And so, you know, um, culturally, uh, there is still a place, I think, for Judaism culturally, so people who culturally are, are Jewish, but as far as you know, actually being God's people or as a way to God or to be the people of God, I think the reality is that Judaism is actually a dead religion. And that takes a bit of effort for me to say that because people go, oh, hang on, they're God's people, blah, blah, blah. But it's a great reminder, isn't it? Because it's very tempting to think that you know, all religions you know, are going to be the way to God. God's going to be, as long as you're sincere, surely all, any religion is a good way to God. As long as I worship, as I believe that there is a God and I worship God in whatever way I choose, that's going to be okay. And you know, that's a very common way for us to think for people to think in our, in our society. Uh, but, but think about it. If even the Jews <laughs> are no longer God's people, if even Judaism is not, acceptable worship to God well then nothing else is going to be the only thing that is going to be acceptable worship to God is going to be uh, centred on Jesus Christ. That's true isn't it? Anyway so old community new community out with the old in with the new that's sort a of funny time of transition in Acts chapter 1 aren't we? Now Peter understands that uh, you know, just as there were 12 tribes as the basis of the old community, there must be 12 apostles kind of corresponding as the basis for the new. This is to do with uh, understanding themselves as God's people, but also uh, in their in their um, proclaiming to the Jews. It's very important to the Jews to see that. Um, so there must be 12 apostles. Now, that's a problem, isn't it? What's the problem with needing 12 apostles at this point in time? Anyone? There's only 11. Yeah, that's a bit of a problem, isn't it? And so that brings up this this, uh, subject of Judas, Judas Iscariot. You notice there's two Judas apostles. Um, There's the other one, and uh, the one we don't hear about much. And then there's Judas Iscariot, who uh, is kind of infamous, really. So we turn to Judas, uh, the apostle turned betrayer. Now, what I want to do is I'm going to read the next little bit of passage from Verse 16. And as I read, I want you to listen and think, wow, what really stood out to you as I read that passage? I heard people a few things, you know, I heard a few bits that stood out as we were going before, but what stood out to you? Here we go. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David spoke in advance about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and was allotted a share in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell head first and burst open in the middle, and all his insides spilled out. And this became known to all the residents of Jerusalem. So then in their own language, that field is called hakkeldama that is the field of blood. Now, I'll give you a moment. Um, what stood out to you when I was reading that? Blood and guts. Hmm? Blood and guts. Yeah, blood and guts, thank you. Right. I was gonna give you three options, but Sue's gone straight for option three. Uh, for, but for those of you who are feeling left out, option one would have been, uh, hey, wow, isn't it interesting how now that Jesus is ascended, I can see Peter is stepping in and he's he's actually interpreting scripture and he's uh, applying it. And uh, so he's kind of stepping in. That You know, that maybe that was what stood out to you. I don't think so. Um, oh, better still. OK, hey, maybe now. Oh, yeah, and no, I can see how the number of apostles is um, discontinuous and uh, discontinuous at the same time with uh, the uh, the twelve tribes of Israel and the the um, the, the holiness of God's covenant people. No, okay, All right. Now it's the gory bit, isn't it? It's the gory bits. You know, Judas burst, bursting open in his gut, splattering everywhere. Kind of stands out to me. Now, but think about it. He could have. Peter could have just said hey, guys, Judas is dead, we need to replace him. He could have just said that, couldn't he? Um, but instead, what have we got? We've got this, something like out of a Stephen King horror movie, isn't it, really? Um, I find it very interesting uh, putting together what, what's going on here because we, we know, you know, as we read the, that and, and Matthew's Gospel, we understand that how the events occurred is, and let me get this in the right order, that... Um, Judas, uh, in remorse for what he had done I mean obviously first of all Judas betrayed Jesus was given the silver they got the money but then in remorse for what he'd done he went back to the temple and he, he threw the money at the, 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 the Sanhedrin the rulers and, uh, and went and hanged himself and then what the rulers did with the money was they actually went and bought the field that he hanged himself and that's kind of how it works okay But as we read this, I'm kind of thinking, how does that marry with what we've got here? Well, with all the the blood and guts, literally. Uh, Well, uh, it seems as though Judas was hanging there for some time, dead, uh, in the hot Jerusalem sun, uh, you know, bloating up with gas and fluids, as bodies do when they hang in the hot Jerusalem sun. And then at some point the rope broke, or the branch broke, and so he's hit the ground, and because of all the stuff in there, splat. And so all these insides spilled out everywhere. Now, a fairly grisly thing, if you think about it. So just remind me for a moment, who was Judas again? Betrayer. Yeah, the betrayer. So he was one of the apostles, one of the 12, and yet he was the one who betrayed Jesus. Jesus. So... You know, it's really not a great stretch to understand this as being symbolic of God's judgement on Judas. And so very early in the book of Acts, um, Judas provides a lesson in himself that uh, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel of grace, uh, the gospel of forgiveness, has not removed uh, curse and judgment from what god is doing it is not remove curse and judgment from god's purposes cursed is he who is hung upon a tree Uh, of course we do all sin every day maybe not in the same way as judas did but we all sin every day must love the lord your god with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands as to who does that. And they, Jesus said they are the greatest commandments. We all fail every day. You know, In one sense, we are all cursed or should be cursed. Um, but, of course, if Jesus truly is your Lord then he takes that curse on himself because he's hung on that tree, on that cross for us. That is if Jesus truly is your Lord. So is he? Is he truly your Lord? You know, Judas was one of the 12. Uh, He was an apostle of Jesus. But at the end, you know, if you read between the lines, you can see that... It proved out that Judas loved money more than he loved Jesus, didn't he? He was a pretender. And I'm, I'm sure Jesus wasn't fooled by Judas, but I reckon everyone else was. You see, pretending to be a Christian, pretending to be a follower of Jesus, pretending to trust in him is a very dangerous game, isn't it? Um, you can fool others. You can fool your friends, you can fool your family, you can fool us. Um, To a degree, you can even fool yourself. But you can't fool God. You can't fool God. God knows our hearts. God knows our minds. He knows every thought we have. He knows what we really think and what we really feel, what we really love and hold dear. So in one sense, we should all fear God's judgement because you and I cannot hide anything from him. So I'm just going to say, don't presume on the grace of God unless you truly have Jesus as your Lord. How do you do that? How do you know that? Well, you say sorry. You say sorry for all the times that you've ignored him and disobeyed him and pretended to be one of his people if, if that's what you've been doing you've got to ask him you've actually got to ask him you can't presume you've got to ask him to be lord over your life um we've got to repent you've got to repenting is this idea of turning around you've got to you've got to uh, stop running away from jesus and trying to avoid him you've got to run towards him you've got to trust him and follow him and listen to him see judas was remorseful he was very sad he did it one sense he was sorry but he didn't repent he didn't turn around and you know really it didn't end very well for him did it so don't don't let that be you anyway back to the passage verse 20 peter applies psalm 109 let someone else take his position sorry i lost my voice this week It's just coming back, though, which is very timely, Um, I think. Okay, so Judas is gone, so now they need a twelfth apostle. Now, it can't just be anyone. You can't just go, oh, yeah, I'll do it. It's all right, I've got this. Uh, It has to be uh, somebody who was with them the whole time. It has to be someone who uh, saw Jesus uh, dead and resurrected and and ascended. Um, It's actually very important uh, we notice in Acts that they are witnesses of his resurrection. Uh, there's a number of reasons for that, but I think one of the big reasons would be the that, that, that the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead proves that everything Jesus said about himself was true, doesn't it? Because God wouldn't have raised him from the dead otherwise. Also, they come up with two names, uh, Barsabbas and Matthias, and then they pray to Jesus as Lord. And they ask him to choose. And then what they do is they cast lots. don't see a lot of casting lots nowadays. Uh, but so just to give you an idea, it's a little bit like drawing straws or rolling dice, that sort of thing, um, uh, to try and choose who's going to be that 12th apostle. Now, it sounds like luck or chance, but it, but it actually isn't luck or chance uh, because in the Old Testament, casting lots was a way of seeking God's will. Uh, but it's very important to notice that this is the last time in the Bible that casting lots is uh, is used for that. So don't don't uh, don't be tempted to throw a coin or roll a dice to seek God's will nowadays. Uh, we, we don't need to do that anymore. Okay, end result of all of that, though, is who chooses the 12th Apostle? Well, actually, Jesus chooses the 12th Apostle. So, uh, yeah. And so, like all the other Apostles, Jesus chose them all. And so... Why is that? Well, because the apostles were, in many ways, the apostles were not special at all. They're just guys, fishermen, and so forth, a bunch of tax collector, and all sorts of things. But in another way, they are quite special um, in, the, in the purposes God used them for. Um, because they're particular men chosen, uh, hand picked by Jesus, if you like, uh, for a particular job. So they were hand picked by him, they were trained, and they were taught by Jesus, uh, they were sent out on little mini missions with Jesus. Um, You know, they followed him around. Uh, They got to see everything he did and they got to hear everything he said. Um, And basically, they got to spend time with Jesus. Now, that's a great thing. They got to spend a lot of time with Jesus. Now, um, not only are these guys then going to be the leaders of the new church when the Spirit comes at Pentecost, but also, and very important for us, their eyewitness accounts... Because remember, they've spent all this time with Jesus. Their eyewitness accounts are going to be preserved for us. So, by the time all the apostles had died out, the the gospels were written and the uh, the New Testament was written for us. So it was all preserved for us in the the gospels and the letters. So there you go. So that's an apostle, special type of person, particular time and place in the history of God's salvation, and very importantly, witnesses, eyewitnesses to these critical, particular, major events in the history of salvation. But, you know, once they died off, that was it. No more apostles. But then we don't need apostles once they've died off because what we have, of course, is their eyewitnesses, our eyewitness accounts preserved for us, which is just as good. Uh, Never underestimate the value of an eyewitness or two or 12 or more. Um, A couple of months back, we were travelling back from Victoria (laughs) And uh, we were on the motorway. We nearly made it home, and uh, we went through a bit of a roadworks. A bit of a story, but anyway, I was in the left lane, and there was a lady in the right lane. And the next thing you know, I can see this car coming across, and she just bumped into the side of the car. So, you know, so we pull over. I think, oh, that's pretty straightforward. She moved in. Anyway, and she started, she started talking, and she was getting more and more like. Difficult, I think, would be the word I would use for that. So she was becoming quite difficult, and I'm thinking it's pretty straightforward, you know. Let's just get this sorted. But it was getting she was becoming more and more questioning of everything, and and almost accusing of things. And I'm going, how's this going to end up? Anyway, thankfully though, at that point, a fellow walks up from behind, and he he pulled over, and and he comes up, and he says to us. Hey, just so you know, I was behind you and I saw the whole thing and if you need to, uh, here's my number and I can write you a letter and I will tell you exactly what, I can say exactly what happened. Oh, what a relief. What a relief to know that there is an eyewitness on the scene. Now, I wonder if you've ever really considered this amazing gift that God has given us, that we have these Gospels and letters from the Apostolic Church. Well, maybe you have, maybe you don't anymore. Maybe, you, maybe you've never really considered what an amazing gift it is. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, you've been around for a while and you kind of, yeah, I read my Bible, but, you know, I just read, I don't get too excited about it anymore, like it seems to be the same as the last time I read it. And, and you know, a little bit, uh, maybe you get a little bit tired of reading, maybe you're a little bit bored, it's, you know, same old, same old that can happen. We are only human. Um, Well, here's here's one way I can offer you to to renew that spark and renew that love uh, for your Bible. So let's say, uh, like me, for example, you are reading through Luke's Gospel at the moment. And so uh, tomorrow morning, um, I want you to try this. So uh, I'm presuming at this point that you do read your Bibles every day. Uh, I think, you know, given the importance of Scripture and it's how, uh, you know, God works in this world, I think uh, you would be uh, well advised to do that. Uh, so tomorrow morning, anyway, I want you to try this. So first of all, you're going to ask for God's help, so it's always good to pray before you read your Bible. Ask for his help. But then, um, before you actually read the passage... I want you to imagine for yourself that you are uh, 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 sorry, before you do that, remind yourself, sorry, that these are actually eyewitness accounts of something that really happened in a real time and a real place. So they are they are real events. And remember that that they are that they are real events. Okay? And then as you read your, your Bible, as you're reading the story, don't just, you know, don't just glaze over it, don't sort of you know read it with heart with a bit of your brain and spend the rest of your brain thinking about what's for breakfast and what am I going to do today. You know, read it and try to imagine yourself there and put yourself in the story. put yourself there. you know let the words actually take you into God's word. let them let the words take you to a real time in a real place. And so in effect, what you're doing then is you are you are there. you are you are actually there in the dust and the sand and the or on the mountainside, or, in, or near the lake, and you are, you are listening to Jesus speak, and you are watching what he does, and you're, you're, you're participating in what's going on there. You know, and what, in fact, you're doing, of course, then, is you are, you are spending time with Jesus, aren't you? I mean, that's the thing. Wouldn't it be great to be one of the apostles and spend time with Jesus? Well, you can spend time with Jesus every day. That's, that's the most amazing thing. And then, you know, if that's not quite amazing enough for you, I hope it is, but if you need more amazingness, you know, as you do this every morning, what what's happening is, you know, God is speaking to you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Jesus is actually right there. Jesus is there beside you. And he is speaking to you with power and authority. And he is strengthening you and he's encouraging you and He's rebuking you and he is challenging you he's he's changing your life he's saving you this is something that we can experience every day of our life not to take for granted and something to share with other people to our friends people who don't know jesus we can share this experience with them so we can show them jesus because we know that his story has been accurately preserved for us. And we know that God works powerfully through that. So, what is God doing about the mess this world is in? Well, he's saving it. He's speaking to people. He's speaking to one person at a time. He's rescuing one person at a time. You know, he's saving us and he is joining us to a new community, which is the church, uh, a community that's founded. Uh, you know, it, under the headship and lordship of Jesus, founded by the apostles or through the apostles. And he's doing all of this through the power of his word and by his spirit and uh, through the story of the gospel. And it, it's, it's, it's a great story, isn't it? Um, of course it's a great story. The best stories are true stories, aren't they? So praise God that he has preserved this story and that he's told it to you and me. Amen.